so uh, we are at the place in the Creed, and if you've been uh, following along with us, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed, which has been huge. Um, it's been uh, really awesome to hear some of the feedback and, and some of the things that people uh, are learning or, or hearing again that's been very, very impactful. But we're at this section of the Creed, and I'll have uh, our sound people pull it up, where we've arrived at where he's the third day or dar, depending on your translation. Uh, that's in the original. Uh, the, the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Okay, now, obviously, you know what's coming in, in, in a few weeks, right? Or about a month, Easter. So you're like, what is he going to do? Is he going to do it twice? <laughs> yep, I am. Uh, and, uh, and so we're going to talk about uh, the resurrection today. And we're going to also talk about something we, we don't talk about enough, which is the ascension and why that's so important and foundational to uh, our faith. And so I'm going to talk about these things. And, and, and I get it. Easter is coming. So there's certain things that I'm going to try and hold myself back from. Uh, and, and there's some verses that I you know, pulled back, uh, but there's so much. And so I want to encourage you as we walk through a lot of these verses, you guys, if you don't hang with it, just write down the verse. These are important for our faith. But when we talk about Jesus Christ rising again on the third day, you guys, this is a historical truth. It's a historical truth, and it is the celebration for us of the ultimate victory over sin and death. Okay, um, I, you know, this is the promise of salvation. Um, this is that sermon that we give where if I don't leave excited, something's wrong, right? Uh, each of the gospel writers write about the resurrection. It's a central theme and not only the preaching, but the theology of the rest of the New Testament as it unpacks for us how we're to live, uh, how we're to model what Christ has asked us to live and to model. Okay. And, and, and so it's important to hear that this wasn't a myth. This wasn't some legend uh, that started and just picked up traction and grew over time. No, there's some real reasons why we believe this, why it is uh, factual. And the first is this, there were eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Christ. Okay, so let's just first talk about that. You guys, uh, throughout the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Uh, in John chapter 20, you know, we went verse by verse through the book of John. In John chapter 20, we see him appearing, right? Uh, to some women, to the uh, disciples. We see um, in, in Luke 24, which I'm gonna talk about in a little bit here, he appears to two guys that are, that are walking on this road to this place called Emmaus, and he appears uh, to them. And, and, and so there's these encounters that people have with the risen Savior just days after he has been put on the cross. We see actually Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three through eight, Paul says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 
Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Okay, so this is huge, you guys. This is huge. This wasn't a, a few guys getting away into the woods, having a few drinks together and saying, hey, let's start something. This is what I think could happen. You know, let's tell this story and, and, and let it spread. No, like, like this is literally Jesus um, appearing after his death in his resurrected state, in his resurrected body, appearing uh, to people all throughout. And, and, and literally at one point to, to 500 people who are together at once um, to where it's undeniable. And every single one of these situations where he appears, it was unexpected. So they were surprised. And, and, and so over the, over the period of these, of these days, uh, Jesus was appearing uh, to people and we literally see as a result of the eyewitness accounts and a result of when the New Testament is being written, uh, there's literally people still alive. So, so it's literally like, hey, you were there. Remember that? It's not like, hey, hundreds of years ago, uh, we believe this happened. No, these are eyewitnesses that were writing this. And then also they're, they're saying this to people who were there, the very people who were shouting crucify him and all of that. And, and, and so how else, if you don't believe in the resurrection, how else do you explain the absolute explosive growth that takes place in Christianity throughout the whole known world? How else? Because I'll tell you what, it wasn't as a result of the crucifixion. Because what did the crucifixion drive into everybody? Why was he crucified at a major highway there at an intersection? Why was all that happening? To strike fear so that you don't wanna be like that guy. And so we see that the disciples, they were huddling together after his crucifixion out of what? Out of fear. So how in the world do all the people that were Jesus followers huddle in fear and all of a sudden they are brave and bold like they've never been before, sharing about a resurrected savior and, the, and, and we see hundreds, thousands, ultimately millions wanting to not only believe that, uh, but willing to give up their lives for that belief. Okay, and so we just see this explosion of uh, the gospel take place. Now, you guys, if the tomb wasn't empty, all they had to do if they were like saying, no, Christianity's not true, is deliver a body and say, look, you're done. Okay, but the tomb was empty, right? And, 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 and it's not like, I mean, I want you to just think how crazy it is. Like, oh, they took the body. Really? They took a dead body and they, they like chariot it around? Like, no, no. Okay, and someone would have someone talked, right? At some point. So we see many believing this. Another piece of the evidence uh, for the resurrection is the testimony of scripture. Okay, um, I mentioned Luke 24. In Luke 24, uh, 24 through 27, we'll look at here, but uh, there's these two individuals uh, two followers of Jesus who are walking on this road to Emmaus and they're talking about what's just happened. They're talking about what's taken place in Jerusalem. They're talking about what everybody's talking about, Jesus being crucified and that. And then they have been told uh, by uh, the, the ladies that were there at the tomb first that, that it's empty. And so they're having this dialogue. They're having this conversation. And all of a sudden Jesus appears and they don't know it's Jesus, okay? And so in Luke 24, uh, 24 through 27, it says, 
and these are the guys talking. It says, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, and this is Jesus talking, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, so, so what Jesus is telling them uh, is one, he's just like, you guys are foolish. All right, you should have been anticipating an empty tomb. You should have anticipated that. And, and what, is, what does he do? He walks with them through scripture, pointing to them all the way from the beginning, how it points to a resurrected savior. Okay, so, so scripture testifies uh, to this. Um, it was prophesied uh, about hundreds of years before uh, it happened. His disciples should have been anticipating uh, the resurrection. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was often telling them what he was going to do, right? He didn't accidentally resurrect. He called it before he did it. Over and over, he said, this is what's gonna happen. And so they should have been anticipating the resurrection as uh, well, but we see what? None of them were. They were absolutely shocked, surprised, and they were in disbelief. But you guys, throughout scripture, we see consistently the resurrection of Jesus from the dead being emphasized. Why? Because it's the proof that he's our savior and that we have been forgiven and saved. Okay, that's the heart of this. In Acts 13, verses 37 and 38, it says, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through this man, uh, through his work, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. You guys, that is all one through the resurrection. The resurrection had to happen uh, for us to experience the victory over sin and death. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What a scary thought, right? Because the wages of sin is what? It's death. So if death hasn't been defeated, we're stuck. Okay, we're still under that. Okay? But because of the resurrection, all who were dead in sins have hope now of a what? Of this new life. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. It says, for as by a man came death, thanks a lot, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, right? And it's as a result of this that, that Paul says in Romans 4, 25, that he who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, it says, for our justification. He was raised for our justification. Jesus died to pay for human sin and was raised to accomplish justification. Because Jesus didn't remain dead, Christians don't remain in their sins. 
okay? We have confidence that our sins have been paid in full. Oh, you guys, your sins have been paid in full. Like they've been paid in full. And not only that, uh, like, like it's been accepted. It's, it's justified, right? Like it's, it's like taking your card and swiping it and just going, I pray it's not declining, please, right? It's not gonna happen. It's been paid. It's been justified through the finished work of Jesus. We can have confidence now. Um, I, wa- I want you to hear Ephesians chapter two, one through seven. This is so powerful, such a powerful section of scripture. It says, Uh, in Ephesians 2, one through seven, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because of his resurrection, we experience a spiritual resurrection. Immediately, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer under that tyranny, that way of living that dominated you, uh, that, that characterized you, where you just went where everyone else was going. You were influenced by the same things. You took on the same priorities, the same goals, the same agenda and desires, and you lived how everyone else did under the influence of the enemy under the influence of Satan. And now he says, through the victory that's been won on your behalf, you are invited into a freedom, a freedom from that. Death is dead. So we no longer have to move forward in fear. Amen. Guys, if death is defeated, like if you're not a Jesus follower, every decision you're making, everyone is made out of fear. It is. Every single one. Now you go, well, hey, man, like, well, you don't know me and you don't know my story. You don't know how successful. That's great. But I'm telling you right now, when you get down to the weeds of every decision you make, it's still, you're making it from a place of fear but not anymore if you're a Jesus follower. You guys, not anymore. We no longer have to move forward in fear. First Peter 1, 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so we no longer move forward uh, out of fear. We now move forward with what? A living hope. That's, how, that, that's what should characterize us. 
You guys, if I'm a Jesus follower, me living my life, uh, it, it should be characterized by this living hope. Right, what comes out of my mouth should 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 characterize a a living hope. You guys, isn't this the message we need to hear right now? Right, when you think of where we're at, how we're living, like what you think about what our kids need to hear right now. What do you think they need to hear? They need to hear about the living hope. They need to see a living hope in us. I think what's so sad is, 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 is we're looking so much like the rest of the world. And honestly, we find ourselves just like waiting for more bad news, waiting for it to get worse. And we're more and more, we're characterizing the same mindset, the same heart, the same attitude of the very people who are swimming in a different direction. And yet what should be characterizing us through the power of the resurrection is a living hope. So that what goes on right now, that's not gonna define me. What, what a leader may do, what my boss may do, what my friends, my family may do, whatever situation uh, may come my way, by the authority of Christ, I have a living hope. I am hopeful. I am not in defeat. So stop acting defeated. And guys, uh, like I said, our kids are looking at us. The next generation is looking at us. What is this faith thing? What is this thing you say you believe? What does Jesus really bring into your life? Guys, guys, daddy is completely different because of Jesus. And so guys, the world is, yeah, the world's messed up and it's not getting better. But you know what? We actually can move forward with a living hope because of Jesus. Guys, that's what we need to hear. This is the message that should be spilling out into our conversations if we're Jesus followers. Like people should leave conversations with you and feel different. They should go, what's wrong with them? Like right now, if, you're, if you have an attitude with living hope, people are gonna go, what's wrong with you? Do you not see what's going on? You're like, oh no, I don't know anything that's going on. No, there's something different, right? There's something different. There is an attitude. Uh, this time of year is uh, special for, for multiple reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is it is called March Madness. And um, whether you're a fan or not, doesn't really matter. Um, but this time of year, there is the NCAA basketball tournament. And it's always exciting. And people pick uh, their teams. And, and, and there's always these teams every year who are what we call Cinderella's. Cinderella stories. And, and, and they're teams that nobody, nobody, a lot of times you didn't even know the college existed. You're like, what is that? Where is that? Right? And, and, but all of a sudden you, you start hearing about this, this team. Why? Because they're beating teams that they shouldn't. You didn't even know what the college was two weeks ago. And all of a sudden they're beating uh, this team that you're like, man, that's an amazing team. That's a team that people are picking to win it. And every year this happens. It's exciting. And and, and one of the teams this year, uh, their name's St. Peter's. I didn't even know St. Peter's existed. I knew St. Peter existed, but I didn't know uh, that this college existed. A uh, tiny little college. And, and they're, they're beating, they've, they've won two games now. And uh, every year as I watch a team do what they're doing right now, at some point during a game, I say this. I go, they actually believe they're gonna win. And I say it every time, like I'm shocked. But every time you see, all of a sudden, these, these, these athletes go, no, we're, we believe we're going to win. We believe it. And you see it in them. 
and it's different. You guys, I, I, was, I was caught up in that, in that team and I just started thinking about my sermon. And I started thinking about the living hope that I'm called to live with. And I started thinking about what does that look like? I mean, these young kids, I see what it looks like on them in their sport, but what does that look like for me in my life as a Jesus follower? What does that look like for us as, our, as a church, as individuals in our occupation and in these conversations? What does that look like to live like I'm expecting victory? To live like victory's already been won. What would that look like? You guys, the resurrection establishes the theological foundation that Christians find forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death, and life everlasting. That is why Easter every year is called our Super Bowl. That's why. It's the celebration of victory. The next phrase we see in the creed is, he ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. Now, once again, this may be something you go, oh, that's great, but do we truly understand the significance of this, of his ascension? In John chapter 14, uh, verse 12, Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, that verse sounds good, doesn't it? Wow, this is a rough crowd. <laughs> if you don't respond to that verse, I can't help you. I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I'll just read it again, all right? Because apparently those chairs are really speaking to you more than I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father because I'm going to the Father. Now, what does that mean? That means that before Jesus goes to the Father, before he ascends up to heaven, what should they have been doing? They should have been anticipating this, expecting this, and just been going, oh my goodness, this is gonna be incredible. As he's appearing to them after his resurrection, they should have been tapping him on the shoulder and say, hey, when are you gonna leave? Like, when do you go? Can you just tell us? Because we're really excited by what you said earlier. Because we've seen what you did, and we heard what you said would happen through us. So when are you leaving? So he, so he says this, uh, as a result of him leaving, this is what's gonna happen. And so there should have been tremendous excitement, anticipation around the ascension. And then, we, and then we see not only in the gospels, but then at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see where he ascends up uh, to heaven and, and we're brought into there. In, in Acts chapter one, uh, verses eight through 11, Jesus is talking to them. They're gathered around him uh, right before he, he goes up to heaven. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that's the kickoff to the book of Acts. It's a good book. You should read it. It's amazing. That's the kickoff. Now, I don't know what that was like. 
I was in our backyard and somebody somewhere else had let off a balloon and I was just caught up in it. Just, have you ever just watched a balloon in the sky and you go, I wonder when it's gonna pop? And you just try, then you're like, I wonder how good my eyes are. So you're trying to follow it, right? And, and you just wonder what that was like for them as Jesus literally is taken by a cloud. And I mean, they're, they're, they're done. They're, they're just caught up in it, right? Why is that so important that he went to heaven? You guys, Jesus rose from the dead, but he also ascended to the throne. That's why this is important. He ascended to the throne. Look what Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses 20 through 23 says. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see why this is so critical? Why this is so important? The father raised Jesus from the dead to seat him at his right hand. And it is there uh, in this seat uh, where he um, exercises supreme authority over all of creation. Okay, literally, like, like it, it says what? <laughs> that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. You guys, everything is, is, is under his feet. And so, so what this means, you guys, is there is absolutely no person, no king, no president, no person in authority in any pocket of our culture in our world that is above Jesus's rule and reign. He is king. So he is over any of them. Okay, uh, any, any circumstances, any natural events that may occur, whether it's here on earth or, or in the sky, right? Like, like he is literally sovereign over it all and he is currently reigning over it all as king. Now,